Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. listening to the No Water Methodists podcast, and I'm Jeffrey Rickman. I'm the preacher and the pastor and the elder and uh, many other things in this community. And I love this community, and I'm glad to be greeting you as as you join us for this. If this is your first time listening to us, um, it is not necessarily emblematic of the usual experience. Um, I gave a sermon this last Sunday that made me very uncomfortable, that uh, very much pushes against my American instincts and culture. And so uh, I preached as earnestly as I could, and I was very surprised. Afterwards, I've never had as many people tell me that they they were touched by my sermon, that they enjoyed my sermon as much as this one right here. Uh, If there is any other quality to it other than it made me uncomfortable, if there's anything else about it that made it unique or distinctive, I I don't know what it was. yeah, I just think it's to the credit of this congregation that they're willing to hear a hard word, an uncomfortable word, that uh, that they don't turn on the messenger whenever the message is hard. So um, I'm very blessed. There are not many pastors who get to preach to a flock like this one. Um, and of course, if you're listening to this, odds are you're not usually with us in person. And if it hits you the wrong way, maybe it's worth considering that... Uh, that it's hitting you the wrong way because you're not with us in person. I think a lot of times the word can only be properly received whenever it's done in the community of saints. So um, that's not to say don't listen to it. That's just to say um, you might consider taking a step closer towards the community of faith, um, whether or not you receive this particular message well, whether or not you're drawn to this particular community of faith. Um, I think oftentimes the most loving thing that we can do for people is is push them into a, a committed, accountable relationship. So um, anyway, feel that inf- invitation. I hope you enjoy uh, my proclamation of the word, Romans 13. I've been preaching through a chapter every Sunday, and uh, they've all been good. But this this really was probably the most, I don't know, stuff to digest that is hard. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I hope it's uh, edifying to you and and God bless you as you tend upon God's word with us. I don't like this chapter. I think uh, the integrity of any preacher and any Christian is whether or not they're willing to listen to the parts of scripture they don't like. Um, So I hope that I have integrity today, even though I'm not perfect in this yet. There There are many scriptures I preach on I don't have a hard time with. They are obviously true to me. This one on submitting to authorities is very difficult for me. Um, Last week, uh, chapter 12 was dealing with a lot of practical things and following Jesus, and it had some hard stuff, you know, not taking vengeance for ourselves, trusting in God's vengeance and wrath. That's a hard lesson. It's not nearly as hard as what we're dealing with today for me. Um, I didn't know it until I traveled abroad. I'm a very American person. 
as, I, as I've dealt with people abroad, it's just very clear that American values have been inculcated. To, it feels like they go down to my bones, which is a problem because that's where Jesus needs to be. And it would be wonderful if everything American was Christian, uh, but as I read my Bible, I just see that there are a lot of things that don't fit with American culture. And uh, the church is for people who put Christ even above country. And that's not to say we don't love our country or our culture, but that does mean that we don't worship our country or our culture. We are people of the kingdom of God. It's a different, we're, our citizenship is in heaven. We have dual citizenship. We also are American citizens, um, but our primary citizenship, the one that saves us, is in heaven. And heavenly culture is not always the same as American culture. And I, I think everybody would agree uh, this country in which we're living right now is far from perfect, is it not? There is a lot of sin, a lot of sickness, a lot of sorrow, a lot of suffering, and uh, that's because it's, it's not perfect. There is a perfect realm to which we belong, and there is a way that we should live here on earth if we expect to enter into that realm. And so uh, today's message is hard. I'm going to read it in three or four sections. Um, and if it's hard for you to receive, I'm just going to ask you to um, mercifully get over it for a little bit, uh, as I have to. You know, if I was, if I was not... We got a question? No? Okay. All right. That's fine. She had her hand up. I thought, wow, we got a prophecy coming. Um, I, this is going to be hard. Um, now, the, the other full disclosure up front, I am a person of the right, uh, which means I like small government, which means that I, I'm not a big fan of federal government. Um, I, I, I think that, that there is a lot to be said for you know, I learned about the American Revolution and really like that story, and I, I'm all about natural rights and free will and uh, self-government. This, this sermon that I'm giving today, I know that people on the left want to resist authority as well, but people on the right, I mean, they're against any kind of government authority. They just want to be left alone. On the left, typically, stereotypically, they want government to be benevolent and step in and, and have what authority and power it needs to get people to behave. On the right, generally, People want the government to just leave us alone, protect our natural rights, stop interfering so much. That's what I identify with on the right politically. That's my political identity. That needs to come under what I find in Scripture today. Okay, so I'm giving that as a disclaimer. The temptation of listeners is always, oh, that pastor's just preaching whatever he believes. I, my beliefs don't matter one fig. What matters is what the Bible says, okay? And if that convicts me or corrects me, then God help me if I don't at least offer that to you. You know, if I'm so self-interested that I can't give you the parts of the Bible that I don't like, uh, I'm not worth anything, am I? I'm here for you and me, but the whole reason I'm up here at the pulpit is because we need someone to speak the truth about what's in here and help us all to live our lives in the light of it, okay? That's what we're doing here. We are not doing, oh, Jeffrey has his little pet political project. This, this, is not, this is not of me. This is of God. Just as a reminder, if it's in here, is it necessary? If it's, in, if it's not in here, is it necessary? Okay, so the only stuff that's listed in here is the necessary, important stuff. Okay. Romans chapter 13, listen to the word of God. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. 
and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. You see why I don't like this? Okay, let's keep going. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Now, we're going to just camp out for a minute. We're going to talk about what we've covered. Because as I told you already, I'm an American. And I've been raised with the story of the American Revolution. The British were, were a foreign occupation, pretty much. They were enslaving us, depriving us of rights, taxation without representation, all that stuff. And the proud people of this nation raised up, banded together, and expelled this huge imperial force by guerrilla warfare mostly, but also by, by uh, 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 militia action. And it's amazing, wonderful history. We also have another uh, war that has determined the shape and flavor of our population, and that's the Civil War. We had the evil institution of slavery that could no longer be tolerated, and so hundreds of thousands of people died and were killed in order to end that institution of slavery in our culture. Now, both of these wars were because people would no longer submit to the governing authority. And from a young age, we're all raised to believe that the good guys were those who would no longer submit and would rather kill or be killed than to submit any longer. And you don't find anything like that in the Bible. That's the problem. You'll find a willingness in the Bible to die for righteousness. You will not find a call, especially in the New Testament, to kill for righteousness. Instead, you will find an exhortation very explicit to submit to governing authorities. Now, I like to squirm out of things as much as possible, you know, as much as anybody else, you know. Oh, I, I'm sure you've, uh, there are a lot of people who come to the Bible like this. They say, oh, well, things were very different back then. So it was okay then, but it's very different now, right? So you'll find people on the left and the right do this for all kinds of things that they don't want to obey. There are a lot of people on the right who will say, well, back then their government wasn't nearly as corrupt as ours. And it wasn't just talking about the Roman governments, all governments in the ancient world that said, obey the governing authorities. And it's really easy to believe that if you don't know any ancient history. Okay, all their governments were really pretty decent back then, but today we've got the worst government. What do you think the odds are that that's true? That's probably not true. You know, nowadays, I mean, what, what I believe is that human nature has stayed the same throughout the ages, and that's why we all need Jesus no matter when we're born, right? And people have always been power-hungry and prone to corruption. I believe that. And when you read ancient Roman history, yeah, their government was corrupt. Their government was hostile. Their government killed Christians. Paul knew that, and he said, submit to them. Christians did not like hearing this. No Christian of any generation has ever gone, oh, yes, I love, I love submitting. Just tell me more. I just love just giving in and not fighting anything. You tell me. I mean... If you've ever been married, you know that it's not human nature to submit, man or woman. But in Ephesians, I mean, this is not the only, this is found throughout the New Testament that if you follow Jesus, you submit, not just to the governing authorities, 
Men, you submit, well, so first off in Ephesians, it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then it says, men, you submit entirely to Jesus. Women, you submit to your husband. Children, you submit to your children. Slaves, submit to your masters. Does everybody have good husbands? No, there are lots of crappy husbands. Does everybody have good parents? No. Aren't you glad that it was my daughter who said that loud? We didn't script that. I love her talking in worship, by the way. And there, there, I mean, one of the weird things about history is that there were said to be some decent and kind slave masters, but we stand at this point of history where we realize that any human owning another human is unacceptable and morally just... But throughout the scriptures, we are told to submit to entities that are not godly. Why? Here, what he says is God has ordained that they should be in power for this time. Especially when you're talking about state authority, it says they do not bear the sword in vain. What that means is they are given authority by God to kill evildoers. So people who are against capital punishment, you need to read this. Okay, the state has been given authority by God to execute justice to the point of death on anyone who, who it deems necessary. And Paul says here is something that's patently false. Governments only hurt evildoers. Paul definitely knew that wasn't true. I think here he's making a generalization, not pro providing an iron law. Generally speaking, governments provide laws for the benefit of social cohesion, and when people break that, they're punished by the state and they deserve it. But there are plenty of states that punish people for following Jesus. There are some cities in America that punish people for feeding the poor or giving money to panhandlers, okay? There are some places that have laws that are immoral. You know, so some people read this and go, oh, what about Third Reich Germany? Okay, they made people turn in their Jewish neighbors. You mean to tell me that they were supposed to submit to that and just get their Jewish neighbors killed? Well, no. And here's the thing that I wish Paul had said that would make this a little easier for me. And that is that God's law is definitely above God's, man's law, don't you think? And when God's law prohibits the killing of people, when God's law prohibits injustice, then we can't do that even if it is a law by man. We obey God's law before men's laws always. If the government ever asks us to do something that is wrong, do not do it. So I'll tell you, and I know some of you are going to be in a different place than me on this, but when COVID came out and there were closing churches left and right and saying you cannot meet, that was a situation where I believe the church was within its rights to disobey the government. I just don't think there's any circumstance this side of heaven where God required, I mean, where God is okay with his people not gathering together. You see how much this means to me week to week. I would rather die. I would rather die than not meet with you guys. If it's between death and eternal life with Christ Jesus, it's easy for me. But if you try to tell me you cannot gather with the saints because it's going to get you killed and it's illegal, I'm sorry, that does not hold sway over me. That's how big a deal the faith is. You know, Maybe I shouldn't have brought that up. Maybe I've offended more people than is useful. But the thing is, there's the main thing, and then there's everything else. And the main thing is obeying God on his terms, and then there's everything else. And we want to obey. I want to obey. I got in trouble recently with an authority figure over me, and I met with this person. I said, I want to obey you. Help me do it. I need you to help me. I, I want to work with you, and I meant it. But I'm never going to compromise my faith to please men. 
And we all have to be very clear on that. There are ways in which we've been okay compromising our faith, going, well, it's illegal, so I'm not going to do it. We really shouldn't be okay with that. But there are other ways in which we don't want to obey the governing authorities, but we really should. You know, just full disclosure, I believe a lot of that right-wing conspiracy stuff. I do. I believe that the CIA has intentionally disrupted foreign nations, sold drugs, circulated weapons, done tons of harm. I believe that the FBI is totally corrupt, has had all kinds. I think the latest thing is that they've had massive sexual impropriety that's been covered over. I believe that the surveillance state has been going on since long before 9-11, but has gotten so much worse that our government is not trying to take care of us, that they're trying to spy on us and manipulate us. I believe that we've been systemically, systematically manipulated to turn on each other rather than operate as a population. I believe that our government is corrupted by lobbying powers and love of money. It's, it, it speaks volumes that we cannot tr pass a new law that means anything, keeping them from trading stocks. I mean, I get incensed and angry about all of this stuff. I could go on. I mean, if you let me, I mean, if, we, if you want to extend things for another hour, I will fill it. <laughs> I believe we have a corrupt government. I believe that pretty much every single institution in our country has been corrupted, has had ideological drift and takeover, and does not care about the people. I believe that. And even so, my Bible tells me God has ordained these authorities over me, and my role is not to rebel. My role is not to fight. My role is to submit as much as Scripture will allow me. You see why I don't like this sermon? I'm very uncomfortable talking about this stuff. I, this is something, whenever you talk about political stuff, it's already charged. I know every time you all turn on the TV, they're telling you to feel one way or the other. Whether you're on the left or the right, what it tells us is you must resist. Man, one of the bumper stickers during the Trump era was resist. That's the opposite of what the Bible tells us. Submit. See how that bumper sticker does. My wife's the only one who laughs at that. Says God has ordained. Let me ask you this, though. Can you be a Christian in Islamic Iran? Well, according to the state, you can't. But there are Christians in the hostile state of Iran. Can you be a Christian in the atheist state of North Korea? Yes. Just like you could be a Christian in ancient Rome, there is nothing keeping you from being a Christian. And when you really look at it, I mean, look at America, supposedly a Christian nation founded in Christianity. We haven't gone through any kind of persecution. The laws have generally been favorable towards the church. I would say the quality of our faith is not very good. I would say American Christianity is, is, is not doing well. And I think that's because Christians have to be challenged. We have to be put on trial. And we, that is what tests our faith. In America, we haven't been put on trial, and now we're not equipped for it. If persecution comes, the vast majority of people who claim Christ are going to fall away. This is something that's very hard about Christianity. We have to figure out this middle ground between submitting all the time and compromising our faith and rebelling all the time. We can't do either. We have to be in this middle place where we stand boldly for Jesus and we submit wherever we can. And that's uncomfortable for people on all sides. And the reason I'm talking about it, I'm belabor, I would say I'm belaboring this point today. I think it's that important. I think that when you read history and you turn on, I don't think there's anywhere you encounter any thought like this other than the church. 
And we've only got like a 30-minute sermon once a week, and we're not usually talking about this. So I have to belabor this so it sticks in your craw and bothers you for years, for the rest of your life, so you can meditate on this. So when you get before the judgment seat of Christ, you're not going, oh, God, I, I didn't hear that one. You've now heard it. And you have to reckon with that to one degree or another, just like I do. Y'all want to move on, or do you want to talk about this some more? All right. <laughs> Verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes. Ah! For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Did you know there was no federal income tax in this nation until Prohibition? You ever heard anybody say taxation is theft? Oh, man. I hate paying taxes. <laughs> but what did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Sarah Beth and I used to pay 20% of our income to the federal government. We don't pay as much now. Having kids is a boon, let me tell you. But... I hate taxes. I hate so much. I, 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 to be honest with you, I've never had a governing authority over me that I felt deserved my full submission. But does Jesus deserve my full submission? And what Jesus says is, submit to them out of my submission to him. The thing is, so does God do everything exactly the way you want? No, no he doesn't. There are some things that God does that, to my mind, look unjust and wrong. So do I have to submit to them anyway? Yes. Because God decides what's good, I don't. I have to learn to have this passive posture, this humble posture that goes, well, that doesn't feel right to me, but they're in authority over me, so I'm going to give in unless my Father in heaven says otherwise. That's the posture we have to have. That's why the, the, the Bible tells us to submit. It's so that we can submit. Do you know how many people there are that just so, say, oh, I don't like this part of the Bible. I'm not going to read that. Or I'm going to cancel out this part of the Bible with this other part of the Bible. Or I'm not going to follow a God who does this. I'm going to follow this God that I choose to believe is here, and I'm going to ignore these passages here. That's when people are too rebellious. You only get one God. He's the one God. He's the only God. And if you can't accept parts of him, well, then he cannot accept you. He will not accept you. You will get to his judgment seat and say, let me in. And he'll go, hey, 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 you didn't obey me. Why am I supposed to believe you want to be with me now if you didn't want to be with me when you were on earth? The way we show that we want to be with Jesus is to submit to him here and now. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So we're giving instructions that are appropriate for heaven, but we're told to do them here and now. We're told to submit to the authorities. Give them what they are due. Well, what if I don't think they deserve my taxes? That is what a worldly person would say. The Christian says, okay, I'll submit, I'll give, and if it doesn't work, I have a Father in heaven who will exact vengeance for me. We covered that last week. But if you don't trust in God's judgment, then you're going to rebel. You're going to do things your own way. You're going to insist, I'm going to resist. That way lies damnation. Verse 8. I'll wait on the train for a second.
let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, this was just a brief, I'm not going to preach on it too long, but debt really is bad. And I know we live in a culture and an economy where debt is just the name of the game. If at all possible, do not go into debt. Get out of it as fast as you can. Humans are not made to live in debt. It, it, it's a spiritual situation. Don't do it. But there's only one debt that we should carry, and that debt is to love one another. Right? We're Christ's ambassadors on earth. Did Christ love you? So you love others. That's the only debt that is owed across your life. Verse 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're really harking, harking, harping on the love thing now. Here's the rub, verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, this is one of those verses that I think we have to reflect on a little bit because we live in an era where people say that words are violence and that the words that I say can kill you in some sense or make you kill yourself. The most immediate political way in which this is used is with the transsexual phenomenon. And I know it's weird and probably a lot of you have avoided this topic, but it's tearing our society apart right now, okay? It's tearing our, it's tearing our, uh, our denomination apart. In Florida this last week, there was a, uh, a drag show in a United Methodist Church for the children's time. Yeah. This is something that's happened in Austin, Texas, and another United Methodist Church. This sort of um, sexual identity crisis, whether or not we like it, whether or not we want to deal with it, it is, it is happening. And we have to understand, we have to be equipped as Christians to know how to answer that. And there are a lot of people who say, you know, I was born as a male, I identify as a female, so I'm going to change my name. I'm going to be, become from Jeffrey to like Jeffrina. I don't know. I don't think there's a single Jeffrina. But also, you need to use feminine pronouns while, while dealing with me now. I am now she, her. Okay. And if you tell, call me by my old name, you're dead naming me. You're killing my new identity in a sense. And if you call me by my, uh, my old pronouns, my old masculine pronouns, then you are... There's, a, there's another term for that. I remembered it in Delaware. But the whole notion there is, when you refuse to speak to me on the terms that I have given you, you are harming me, and I'm going to kill myself, maybe. And so when you refuse to, especially with children, when you refuse to affirm their gender identity, you're pretty much saying to them, go kill yourself. That's what a number of people, I'm not talking a fringe minority, I'm talking about an increasingly large minority Probably over a million people in the United States believe this. They believe that you, in not speaking to people how they want to be spoken to, are harming them. And here they read, love does no harm to a neighbor. So they'll jump down to, uh, you know, in my, I follow the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm not going to lie about if somebody can change their sex. I'm not going to do it. Anybody seen, uh, there's an episode of Star Trek. I shouldn't bring it up. Never mind. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but the world wants to make us lie. Because if they can make us lie, then we have no integrity. And Christians without integrity are exactly where Satan wants them. 
We have to speak the truth. We have to live the truth. And when society puts pressure on you saying, if you don't lie with the rest of us, you are doing harm and you are insulting your Savior, Jesus Christ. There are a lot of Christians who go, well, I don't want to harm anybody. And I don't see who it hurts. Okay, you're a girl now. No big deal. I love you. Let me talk to you about Jesus now. We don't realize that we've given up everything that leads to Jesus. Because how many people want to hear that they're a sinner doomed and damned? How many people want to hear that? How many people, they hear that and they go, oh, you're harming me. Please be silent. There are so many things that are true that people don't want to hear and will say, you are harming me. Let's talk about medicine for a minute. Let's imagine that I broke my arm and it's hurting already. But in order for my arm to heal right, you've got to fix it. You've got to set it. So Jeff comes up here and grabs one part of my arm and another part of my arm and sticks them back together and wraps them up. Is that going to hurt me? But is that bad for me? That's the most loving thing Jeff could do for me, isn't it? What if I say, oh, you're harming me. Please just let me heal back all wronged and misshapen and be hurting the rest of my life. Is it a loving thing for him to leave me alone? No. And what the Bible calls us to do is engage in this act of global healing for all broken individuals. And most of them are going to say, this is hurting me. Stop doing this. And we have to say, I love you too much to stop. I love you. I cannot let you sit in misery and despair. I know you think that there's no other option for you. I know you think this is the way things need to be. I know my father in heaven and he has told me, I have to tell you the truth. I love you too much to let you live in a lie. Love does no harm to a neighbor. What if love means that we can't be silent when a neighbor is harming themselves or others? That's where this gets really hard. I see some people are not even looking at me right now. <laughs> and it's because this is the, the trial of our time. We have a crisis and identity where God doesn't say who we are. We say who we are. Kill me now. If I get to say who I am, kill me now. I am a miserable wretch. But if God says who I am, he has called me beloved. He has called me out of my darkness into his light. And he has told me that he has the power to do it, and I believe him. But I'm not going to go with him if I don't see the problem. I'm, I'm not going to listen if I don't see the pain. And the world is going to bully us. It's going to pressure us. It's going to hate us. And expect for us to be complicit in its lies, and we have to say no. Now, the trans thing is easy. I'm living in a red state, in a red town. There are all kinds of ways in which this affects us in our culture. And the, the, the metaphor I use in Delaware, I'll use it here, marriage. Marriage requires us to be married to another person who is also self-interested. And they're going to have truths that they need to hear but don't want to hear. And it's going to feel really scary when you need to have that talk and you're going to, oh, they'll hate me. Oh, they might leave me. Oh, who knows? I'm just going to break this, this unsaid rule for 20 years that we've had. When you are a believer, you cannot deny the truth. You cannot hide from the truth. You have to speak the truth in love. That's language from Ephesians. This is something that's lived out not just in our political identities with trans people. I mean, that's such an easy... To my knowledge, we don't even have trans people around here. But we have a lot of self-interested people who don't want to hear the truth in our lives. And our faith, our integrity is put on the line every day when they want us to remain silent. And we have to say, no, 
out of love for you and reverence for Christ, I cannot be silent. I need to move on. Verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Is that true? Yeah, it's in the Bible. It's true. Easy. Verse 12. The night is nearly over. When he's talking about the night, he's talking about the era before Christ returns in the final judgment. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. There's a lot of references here between here and Ephesians. Ephesians describes the actual armor of light, the different parts of it. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. If you're guilty of any of those, stop it. Stop. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, this last section, this is one my, my, my brother, Robbie, really encouraged me. He, he read ahead this week, and he told me, this is pretty important. Everybody's got to learn to wake up. We have a world that wants us to participate in lies. We have a world that wants us to go to sleep. They want us to be comfortable, complacent. They don't want us to rock the boat. They don't want us to speak truth. They don't want us to live with integrity. They want us to give in, go along, go with the flow. Here it's saying, you need to wake up. Anybody know what the, the band Coldplay? Anybody ever heard them? Some of the most relaxing music in the world. I remember when they were big, my brother Jared said, oh, I hate those guys. I said, what's wrong with you? You hate Coldplay? He said, they're singing the world to sleep, man. I said, they are. They really are. You know, and I'm not, that's a sermon illustration. I'm not saying it's a sin to listen to relaxing music, but I would say we are awash in people who are going to hell. As we go out of this building, we're going to see thousands of people who have no interest in Jesus or his light, who are living in darkness and sin, and are, it's expected that we just interact with them like nothing's wrong. If you had met somebody who had just a knife stabbed into their face, would you have a hard time interacting with them? I know I would. I couldn't talk to them like something is normal. I would want to do something about that knife in their face. And yet, what is the state with most people is so much worse than walking around with a knife in their face. They are going to hell. They're going to suffer for eternity. They are living right now without knowledge and love of the Lord. It is the most agonizing, awful thing in the world. And yet, we go out there and act like it's not a big deal. When it's saying, wake up, it's saying, would you look at things as they actually are? Can you stop being drunk and complicit and wake up and see how awful it is what's going on? And actually try and save some people? And if you yourself have been complicit in your own sin, you got to wake up. You don't know how much longer you have. The night is almost over. The day is coming. It could be here in a moment. Are you ready? That's what we're supposed to be getting from this, is an impatience with sin in the moment. Because this era is coming to an end. It's all wasting away. We are not to be people of the darkness. We're people of the light. And God help us if we start behaving like the world, because then Satan's won.
Now, Satan is not going to win in the grand scheme of things. But in my life, I get to decide. Is my life going to be a testimony about the light and God's power, or is it going to be about Satan's darkness? It really is that simple. So, I'm so excited to move on next week. I'm not going to have to preach anything like this next week. I hated this preaching today. I do not enjoy this message. God help me. I need to be sanctified more. I need to open this and go, yes, Romans 13. But I'll tell you, it's been really hard for me. Because my, my, my human mind is not here. God is correcting me. And he's corrected all of us. And even if I made you angry today, your time to leave was a long time ago. You're going to love me and stick with me, and we're going to stick together as a church because uh, we have to. The stakes are too high. I'm going, to share, I'm going to share one other anecdote I meant to say today. I'm sure it's no surprise to any of you. In seminary, I was not very fun for professors to have in their classroom. I went to a very liberal seminary where they talked about all kinds of things that would help people discount what's in the Bible. And my regular role after a couple of years in was saying, but professor, what do you do about this part of the Bible over here? Or how do you fit this with this over here? And eventually one professor got so irritated with me that he called me into his office and he said, I've talked to a number of the other professors about you, Jeffrey. And we all agree that there's just one question we want to ask you. What's at stake for you? The way he said it was, there is nothing at stake, you know. Why are you being so dramatic, Jeffrey? Why are you correcting everything? Why are you requiring us to, to continually be in dialogue with you? Why, what's at stake for you, Jeffrey? And in that moment, I had the temerity and clarity to answer, people's souls are at stake here. And that's where the conversation ended, because he just disagreed. He, doesn't, he didn't think there was any risk. There's any, well, I mean, they didn't believe anybody's going to hell. They didn't even believe there was a hell. And when there is nothing at stake, then of course we should all relax and just enjoy it, right? But when our very lives, our very souls are at stake, then we have no better business than God's business in our lives. Amen?